had such an incredible weekend at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Um, we were just so blessed and filled up, and we have the privilege of hearing this morning from one of our Sparkle speakers, um, Lisa Harper, who is a friend of our house. And yeah, we just love her so much. Come on up. We've had so, so much fun this weekend. And um, her daughter Missy is with, and her, her nephew John Michael, and we were just back in the green room laughing and oh, so having much so much fun. But Lisa, you are just an incredible speaker, storyteller, a scholar. Do you have your doctorate, or are you working on your I've doctorate? finished the academic finished credentials, it. and I'm in dissertation city. Amazing. So, so she's also super smart and brilliant. So I'm the dumbest person in my class you, by far. You're so, amazing. We love, love you. It. So give us the word mm, this morning. I love you, Becca. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I um, couple of qualifications. One is I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, so I know I sound like I was born in a barn. So I talk funny. I use way more hanging, hanging diphthongs than y'all. And I'm a spitter, so this is going to be baptism row. Um, I used to think Minnesotans were, were kind of formal and a little on the stiff side. And then I met Jen Pattingale 10 years ago. We were at the same women's conference and she just blew sunshine my way. And that's the first time I heard about River Valley. And then she twisted Pastor Becca's arm and talked Becca into having me come. And I think Becca thought she was bringing Lisa Bevere, who is a great AOG preacher, but Lisa preaches in leather pants. And so... I thought, oh, heavens to Betsy, if Pastor Becca thinks I'm going to preach in leather pants, y'all are going to be scarred for life. It'll sound like ducks are being killed. And so I was kind of nervous the first time I came to River Valley, and I just fell head over heels in love with y'all. If I lived in this part of the country, I would be here every time the doors were open. I'd be at River Valley and Caribou, one or the other. Um, thank you. Thank you for always making me feel like I fit. Uh, Davey, Nicole, I'm so coming back for Candy Palooza. I'm like, redeemed candy, yes! It's incredible. I do not think keto is Christologically based. I think it's from the devil. If, if Jesus didn't want us to eat carbs, why would he call himself the bread of life? It's just, just food for thought, food for thought. Um, reach out and touch that amazing saint, that image bearer next to you. If you're coughing, don't touch him, but reach out and touch him. If you're married to him, you can grope him, just a little bit of holy Levitical grope. But let's pray for each other before we dive into God's word. Jesus, 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 thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your accessibility. We praise you that you are holy. You are transcendent. You are the only true God. And we're undone. Jesus, that you didn't leave us as orphans when you went to sit at the right hand of God the Father, but you left us your spirit, Holy Spirit, who gives us accessibility to you. We don't have to go through priests or sacrifice goats. You incline your ear to hear us. You reveal yourself to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this love letter called the Bible. Thank you that uh, we can come together in a safe place like this sanctuary and focus our attention and our affection on you and we don't have to worry about being arrested. Um, what a gift that is today. Jesus, 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 bless this house. Bless these people. Lord, give us a, a clear picture of who you are and who you've called us to be, how you've called us to live as your image bears. 
um, in a world that seems to be increasingly further and further and further away from your truth. Lord, help us to be truth bearers with great compassion for the people around us. We love you, Jesus. Reveal yourself to us this morning. Amen and amen. Turn straight to Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Um, I think I lied. Is that right? Yes, Exodus chapter 20. Um, now, even if you're new to River Valley, or maybe this is your first time in a church in a long, long time, I bet you a nickel you're familiar with this passage, even if you didn't know the address. Sometimes I have our time with the addresses. I'll be like, it's in the Bible, top right, about two inches in, but I'll forget the address. Exodus 20, you at least know by reputation because that's where we find the Ten Commandments. Now, my mama was Baptist and my daddy was Assembly of God, so I'm Baptist heavy on the costal. And so my mama, um, amazing woman, introduced me to Jesus, but my mom was super serious about the Ten Commandments. And if you've got a Southern Belle serious about the Ten Commandments, they usually camp out on the Sabbath. So from the time I was in utero, I, I had heard about the Sabbath. By the time I was, you know, four or five years old, I'd seen it flannel graphed. And my mom was, she was all up in the Sabbath. That's the beginning of Exodus 20, verse 8, where God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. My mama thought to keep the Sabbath holy, that meant we went to church for, I don't know, 16, 18 hours on Sunday. Um, I wore very, very uncomfortable shoes. I had to wear tights. Now, I grew up in Central Florida. It's hot as can be, but we still wore heights. I know, it's totally from the devil. I still hate pantyhose. Um, but I had to wear tights, uncomfortable shoes, a dress, and I couldn't say anything. And even then I was a windbag. And so it was just uncomfortable. Sabbaths were uncomfortable. And then we came home from church where I tried to keep it holy. And mom said, since it's the Sabbath, Lisa, you can swim. Everybody in Florida has a pool. You don't have to be wealthy to have a pool. That was our, our outside air conditioning. But she said, you cannot wear a bikini. Now I'm like six years old, so surely I couldn't have been that encouraging for anyone to see, nor am I now that I'm in stretchy pants season at 58. But, but when I was a little girl, you, there's nothing untoward about a little girl in a bikini. Plus, our whole backyard was fenced. So I wasn't sure who my belly button would offend apart from God. So I thought evidently he doesn't like noise. He doesn't like comfortable shoes. And he is just totally opposed to belly buttons. I thought that's what the Sabbath meant. I met Jesus when I was a kid. I didn't think he liked me very much. I thought he was a God of rules. I knew I needed him to be saved, but I thought he was a really serious, kind of a unibrowed librarian. Um, please forgive me if you're a librarian. I know most of you are really, really sweet. But you know that stereotype of just angry. I thought if I step out of line, he's going to smack me over the head with a Bible. And I thought the Ten Commandments kind of emphasized that, that they were rules. It took me a long, long, long time to realize this is not a rule book, it's a love story. Yeah. And they're not rules, they're parameters for our good. I was explaining the Ten Commandments to Missy and I said, honey, it's not rules. I said, you know when we go bowling and they put up those bumpers so that you won't roll a gutter ball? I said, well, that's kind of what the imperatives are in the Bible. When God says don't do something, he's not a killjoy. He's saying, I don't want you to do this because I want you to take this other path because this one's for blessing. 
This one's for your good. This one's for your health. This one's for your heart. This one, you may not see it at first, but if you go down this path, it's going to crush you. It's going to rob your hope and your joy. Don't go down that path. That's gutter. Your heart's going to get crushed in that path. Go down this path. The parameters are for our good, even Sabbath. Do you remember the context that God gave him, the Ten Commandments? Do you remember who he originally spoke the Ten Commandments to? Anybody over 50? Charlton Heston, right? Remember that movie, the Ten Commandments? He spoke the Ten Commandments to his people, the Israelites, right after, right after he had rescued them from captivity in Egypt. Do you all remember this? Anybody remember this? Y'all can talk back. I'm not Pastor Rob. I love him. He'll clean up any of this heresy next week. So he rescues his people. They're called the Israelites. It's a theocracy is a fancy word. It just means God has set his favor on this particular group of people really as a living illustration. So the rest of us would go, oh, that's what relationship with God looks like. He's not a faraway policeman. He's an up-close personal redeemer. He said, I'm going to set my favor on you, my relationship on you, and I'm going to give you these parameters for your good. Do you remember the context of those parameters? Y'all can talk back. They've just come through the Red Sea. They've just been in captivity. There's been all these plagues. Remember the frogs? Gross. Do you remember when, when Moses asked Pharaoh, uh, God says he'll, he'll take the frogs away. When would you like him to remove this plague? Do you remember Pharaoh's answer? I'm like, this guy's dumb as rock. Tomorrow. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You want frogs in your bed one more night? Anyway, they've been through all that. So major PTSD. They've escaped through the Red Sea. They've seen Pharaoh's army swallowed up by the Red Sea. They're camping out around the base of Mount Sinai. I mean, these people are discombobulated. Their hair's blown back. They're like, oh, my goodness. And then God comes down in the form of a cloud on Mount Sinai, and he says, here's some rules for holy living. And one of the first one is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. When they were in Egypt, they were slaved, enslaved for around 400 years. That's all they knew. They had the mind, the context, the disposition, the perspective of slaves. Do you remember how many hours most theologians think that, that an Israelite over the age of four worked in captivity? Between 18 and 19 hours a day. Do you know what the median age is of death that some archaeologists have figured out for those Israelites in captivity? Between 30 and 31. That was their existence, 18 hours a day in the hot Middle Eastern heat. They made bricks, they mixed mud, and they mixed straw. And the Egyptians taught them that God was the sun, Ra. That's the Egyptian religion. The sun is the God of creation. His name is Ra, and he hates you. He is burning you into a grease spot of oblivion. And when Ra sets at sunset, guess who the next God is? Big old nasty serpent. Because Ra has to go down in a rowboat to the underworld to do some kind of battles. And so the serpent comes up and he hates you too. That's their context, y'all. That's their whole context as Israelites. They've been taught about Jehovah through oral tradition. But as they live those 400 years as slaves, what seeps into their understanding is it's a faraway God who will burn you. The one true God rescues them and he says, I want to reframe your identity. You're not slaves anymore. I love you so much. I actually have set my thumbprint in you. You are made in my image. 
regardless of your gender or ethnicity. You are inherently valued because you're made in my image. I love you. You matter to me. And I don't want you to, to die working. You matter so much to me. I want you to have a regular work week. And you're not going to understand this now, but we're going to call it Shabbat. And it's an entire day that you don't work. It's an entire day that you focus your attention on me. You remember how valuable you are. You get to hang with your family. You get a really big drink from Caribou. You get, I don't know, Candy Palooza. It's a day that you get to remember your value. He, he wasn't yelling at him. He didn't have a unibrow. He didn't say, no bikinis. He said, you matter to me. You are so precious to me. You're valuable to me. So I'm, I'm erecting a fence to protect you, to protect your heart, to protect your mind, even to protect your body. I brought my daughter Missy home from Haiti uh, seven and a half years ago. She was four I was 50, so I went through motherhood and menopause at the same time. Sorry, gentlemen. Um, and it was just epic. I couldn't believe God had redeemed so many of the mistakes in my story to allow me to become a mama. Missy's first mama died of AIDS when Missy was a baby. Doctors in Haiti said Missy would not live. She is healthy as a horse by the grace of God and good medicine. It's been just one miracle after another after another. But when I brought her home, there were some hills to navigate uh, because of her past, because of my brokenness. And there were a lot of little hills, and one of the major hills reared its ugly head the first night she was home. First night she was home from Haiti, I'd been in process for two years, so she knew me. She called me Mama Blanc, White Mama. Um, she liked me. She didn't really love me yet, even though she said that. I think she thought of me more as Santa with bigger hips. Um, and so we were, we were just getting into the groove of, of mama and daughter. And I raised my hand, and I don't remember if I was going to caress her cheek or if I was going to play with her hair. First night at her home from Haiti um, in Nashville, I raised my hand, and Missy flinched. And I realized she thinks I'm going to hit her because that was her experience in the orphanage. She was the first and last child with HIV in her particular orphanage, and so the nannies hated her, ostracized her. She was beaten at the orphanage, and when I raised my hand as her mama, she thought I was going to hit her. I explained to her in what little creole I could speak, baby, I'm never, I'm never going to hit you. I'm never going to slap you across the face. I'm never going to hurt you intentionally. You are my daughter. You are precious to me. Other than Jesus, I love you more than anything in the whole world. You are precious. I'll do everything I can to protect you. Took a long time to get her to sleep that night. And once I could tell she was asleep, I walked outside her room and I leaned against the hallway in our little cottage in Tennessee and I bawled like a baby. I cried because my child had at any point in her story been abused. No, no human no imago dei, no image bearer of God deserves to be abused in any way, shape, or form. Um, even in discipline, there should be mercy. That's how our perfect father disciplines us. There's always mercy in his discipline. I wept that she had been hit. And then I think I wept some that she didn't know me. That she thought that I could hit her. Y'all, I think so many of us live like Missy with our Heavenly Father. 
We've heard the stories, we sing the songs, we buy the t-shirts, we raise our hands, but there's some corner of our heart that's emotionally agnostic. There's some corner of our heart when we think, if I step out of line, he's going to be mad at me. He might just figuratively smack me over the head because I know what a mess I am. Surely he does. That's not the character of God. He's a holy God. But in his kindness, he chooses to be accessible, slow to anger, scripture says, rich in compassion, slow to anger. He's not just a good father. He's a perfect father, perfect creator, redeemer. Nothing in our lives is hidden from him, and he loves us unconditionally. His people, these Israelites, they're a hot mess. They're just like us. I love that God didn't choose perfect people. Aren't you glad the stories in this inscripturated revelation, they aren't perfect? Like if they were all skinny and never thought bad words in traffic, I'd be like, oh, I'm so sure. I love that, that they're stinkers and sometimes they lose their way. And after Moses said, here's the parameters, here's the bumpers for your good, they were still scared. They got the Ten Commandments, beginning of Exodus 20, and here's their response. Verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They still had the mindset of slavery. They were used to being bent over and oppressed. Liberty was a hard thing for them to learn. And they stood far off and said to Mo, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Don't even let him text us. We're afraid of him. You would think God would have just kicked him to the curb, wouldn't you? I mean, human logic says that he would say, you are such ragamuffins, I'm going to just put you over here on an alternate universe, and I'm going to create a whole new people group, a whole new theocracy, who's a little more faithful, a little less rebellious, but he doesn't, because he's kind, always kind. I'm 58 years old. Here's the thing that's great about being 58, besides stretchy pants. I can look back over five decades of walking with Jesus, and I can say what we just sang, God, you're so good. One of the few people in Nashville who can't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> that song is not hyperbolic. It's true. Amen. I look back over my life and go, he's been nothing but good. Always faithful. I've never seen his back. His people in Exodus didn't have quite enough experience yet with him. They were afraid he was mean. And so after they say, we don't even want God to talk to us, instead of chastising him, instead of zapping him into a grease spot, he gives them this compassionate P.S. Did you know there was a P.S. to the Ten Commandments? We usually skip over it. Here's the compassionate P.S. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 22, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold, an altar of earth, if you're comfortable writing in your Bible. I want you to underscore highlight earth. We'll come back to that in a second. You shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. I'm not going to spank you. I'm not going to eviscerate you. I'm not going to chastise you. I'm going to bless you. I want to be in a loving relationship with you. This isn't about rules. It's about relationship. 
If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it on hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. The first thing he says is, you don't have to have anything fancy. You don't have to have dry ice and the smoke and you don't have to have all the hullabaloo that you think you have to have remember this is pre the golden calf where Aaron said I don't know we just threw some earrings into the s'mores and who puffed out a golden calf um, God doesn't try to trip us up he's always saying here's the way here's the way walking it here's the way walking it here's the way walking it do you remember Samson remember Samson the Romeo without a clue in the book of Judges and remember, he, he hooked up with a girl named Delilah. Do y'all remember that? And she was like, oh, oh, please tell me your secret because I have some friends who want to tie you up and subdue you and gouge out your eyes and kill you. And he's so stupid, he asked her out again. Um, just Romeo without a clue. But remember, it says he went to the Valley of Sorek to take her on a date. Do you remember what the Valley of Sorek means in the original Hebrew? Old Testament was written originally Hebrew, New Testament mostly Greek and Aramaic. Do you remember what the Valley of Sorek means? Grapeville, the Valley of Grapes. Samson is a Nazarite. He's not allowed to have anything to do with the fruit of the vine. No, no wine with pasta, no, no raisins in a cereal. And he's known that since he was a baby boy. God's not trying to trip him up. God says, don't hook up with a girl from Grapeville. Don't go with a girl from Grapeville. He's so kind, y'all. He's not trying to punk you. He's not trying to trip you up. He wants you to be blessed. Here's the way. Walk in it. Here's the way. Walk in it. I'm not mad at you. I want to bless you. I want a relationship with you. Here's the way. Walk in it. He says, you can be with me if you just have dirt. All you have to have is the earth. You can be with me if you just have the earth. You don't have to have stretchy pants. Nothing has to match. You don't have to have dry ice. It can be very, very simple. He says, but when you come to me, bring all of you to all of me, all of me, bring your sheep and your oxen. In other words, it's personal. Worship is personal. You don't get somebody's deer from roadkill. You don't, you don't bring a hamster from home. You bring your sheep. It costs you something. They're an agrarian culture. When a coyote got a sheep, they brought that, those baby lambs inside their one-room home. And they bottle-fed them and they named them. Those sheep mattered to them. He said, you bring your heart. This isn't a show. You bring all of you to all of me. And he said, now if you're going to have stones in your church, don't have hewn stones. Old-fashioned word. I bet some of you gentlemen, especially if you ever worked a job in contracting, you remember what hewn means. Anybody remember what hewn means? H-E-W-N, old English word. It means to shape a stone by chiseling it. So a shaped stone. And I used to wonder, why doesn't God want hewn stones? I mean, those are the ones I get from Home Depot. Why doesn't he want a hewn stone? As I studied that passage more, I realized the reason he said don't shape the stones is if we shape the stones, we think we should share in his glory. He said, this isn't about you. It's about me. I was at a women's conference recently. Nothing like sparkle. It was a little, a little stiffer. And, and there was a woman I was standing next to, much like Jen, only nothing else like Jen. It was kind of her idea. She'd done a lot of logistics. And 
So I turned to her about midway through the conference, and I said, man, this is awesome. I mean, God was just showing off. Women were getting saved. Marriages were being reconciled. It was really amazing how God was moving. And I turned to her, and I said, this is awesome. And when I said that, she went, oh, no, it's not about me. It's all about God. And I thought, ma'am, I wasn't even thinking about you until you brought you up. I knew it wasn't about you. If anything great happens, it's always about God. Our culture gets humility confused with insecurity. And we think humility is, oh no, it's not about me. And I'm like, you just made it all about you. That's just narcissism in a nicer outfit. You just pointed everything back to you. Humility is not, oh no, it's not about me. Rick Warren, I used to give C.S. Lewis credit for this because it's so smart. I thought it had to come from a dead theologian. But Rick Warren, not C.S. Lewis, said, humility is not making less of ourselves or making ourselves less. Humility is just thinking of ourselves less. Isn't that good? That's God's point. He says, it's about me. Make it about me. Come to you. I loved how, how prayer time was set up. No matter what kind of week you've had. Maybe a really crummy week, or you may have tight skin and a high metabolism, baby. And you just want to prance up to the altar and go, he has been good this week. Even in my circumstances. God says, come to me in humility. Come to me in relationship. And remember, it's all about me. And then he says, what is my favorite verse in this passage? Because I'm just a teensy bit rebellious. My favorite verse is verse 26. I love this is in the Bible. When people tell me the Bible's boring, I'm like, nope. We've got some Bible teachers who are boring. We've got some Bible studies that are boring. But this is better than HBO. Maybe this is awesome. It's such a colorful book. Do you know 80% of Scripture is narrative? It's a story. I think how kind of our God that that's how he revealed himself to us. He could have just written it in the sky or done something in physics that was hard for any of us to understand. He said, no, I'm going to tell you a love story. You're going to understand it's about me and you. The last verse of this particular love story, I love it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Don't you love it? The naked is in the Bible. As a southern, I just love that. You remember in this period of ancient history, men didn't have Haynes his way. So they just had an outer robe. And God says, remember that if you step up on the steps going to altar, you're going to probably reveal more than you planned to. And so he's speaking in a way they can understand it. Again, he's not trying to punk us, not trying to make it so mysterious we can't get it. He said, be careful when you step up. And then he used that as a metaphor. He said, I'll cover you. You can't cover yourself. I'll cover you. I used to work for a ministry called Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs. And when I left that ministry, I wanted to go to seminary and be a little less of a heretic. I was saying goodbye to everybody I'd gotten really close to in that tenure of my life, about 1,200 employees. And I was walking out of the restroom one day. It was the last day I was on staff at Focus. And I ran into a gentleman I just have such deep respect for. He passed away recently. His name is Stan Kellner. Godly, godly man. He traveled a lot on behalf of the ministry. And so I didn't think I'd get to say goodbye face to face. So when I ran into him, I was excited. And I was like, Stan. And he said, oh, I heard you were leaving. And I said, yeah, I'm going back to Nashville to start seminary, seminary go on staff at a church. And he said, Lisa, I really want to bless you. 
And he spoke this blessing over me. And as a fatherless daughter, boy, when men speak blessings over me, I just can't even wrap words around how deeply it encourages me. And the only thing off about it was he would not make eye contact with me. He's speaking this extraordinary blessing, but he just won't make eye contact. And I thought, you know, he's so brilliant. He's probably pondering something in Hebrew. So I kept kind of scooching, just trying to get into his line of vision. And he just wouldn't have it. He just kept kind of staring off at the sea of cubicles. And he finally finished his blessing. We said goodbye. He turned to go to his office, and I turned to go to mine. And when I did, I felt this little draft. Now, when I was on staff at Focus, it was an uber-conservative ministry. Some of y'all remember Dr. James Dobson. He's still on the radio. We Women couldn't wear open-toed shoes because somebody had told Doc that the line between a woman's big toe and second toe is reminiscent of cleavage. So we had to wear closed-toed shoes. I mean, I'm sorry, guys, but if my toes mess you up, you got bigger issues. <laughs> than my shoe wear, but um, it was super conservative. We had to wear a skirt and hose, pantyhose every day. And so when Stan turned and walked toward his office, I turned to walk toward mine and I felt this little draft and I was like, uh-oh. And I looked down and realized in horror, I had accidentally tucked my skirt into my underwear in the restroom. And to make matters worse, I already told y'all I hate pantyhose, so I always cheated and I wore thigh highs. And uh, gentlemen, don't Google this because you'll be in therapy if you do. But it's just basically like spanks for your legs. And so I always had kind of a little flop over right up here because they were so tight. And I realized that's why Stan wouldn't look at me. You know, I'm standing there in the hallway of what was the largest parachurch ministry in the world. He's talking about the goodness of God. And I'm just, <laughs> in my thigh highs. And I thought the reason he's staring off is he's traumatized by me. When I started studying this, God just, I felt like he was tickled. And he was like, remember, remember, Lisa, remember when you weren't covered. Remember, and I was like, yes, sir. And he said, I'll cover you. I'll cover you. That's the whole point of this book. I love you. I want to protect you. I want to be in a real relationship with you. And I'll cover you. When you can't cover yourself, I'll cover you. Would y'all close your eyes and put your hands palm up in your lap and before pastor comes up would you pray for yourself would you pray that God through his spirit right now would plow up the tired places in your heart would plow up maybe even any area of weariness or unbelief or disappointment and pray that he would remind you through his presence, that he's got you, that you matter to him, that you're worth protecting to him, that he has condescended because of his compassion in a way to have a real relationship with you. Would you just pray for yourself right now and say, Jesus, give me the grace to lean back and linger in your embrace. Teach me what it is to remember your love and to be held by you. Lord, I pray right now every single person in this room would get a fresh glimpse of who you really are 
the love that you have for them, the true view of the love in your eyes, the grace, the things that you want to pour out on our life that we don't deserve, the mercy when we do deserve discipline, correction, God, there's a, there's a mercy that you pour out as you lead our lives. Lord, I pray that people, there's people in this room that think you're just waiting to drop a hammer. But God, you're really ready to lift them up. God, I pray that there would be a lift in this room, a lift in our lives, this, this new view, true view of who you are, that you are the great head lifter. Lord, thank you for ministering to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Can you stand to your feet? And can we thank Lisa Harper for being with us this weekend?